accompanying us. We look forward to the blessing and the privilege and pleasure of having you worship with us through the ministry of God's Word. We are now in our third and final week of this 21-day fast. And everyone said? <laughs> and for that reason, as we come down to home stretch, we need grace, right? And so I feel led to minister this morning on the subject of the grace of fasting, the grace of fasting. And our text is going to be found in Mark's Gospel, chapter 9. And we're going to begin our reading with this account in verse 14. <clears throat> Media is going to be able to help us. If you'd like to read along, please read along with me as we begin in verse 14. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown himself both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into his house, his disciples asked him privately, what could, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. May the Lord add his rich blessing to the reading of his word. Fasting is something that is unusual in Christian circles today. Yet we would be amazed to know that fasting in the scriptures is given as much attention as is prayer. 
And in fact, fasting is mentioned more than the importance of baptism. So that should go to show us the importance that God gives in his word to this discipline of fasting. And even though Jesus, who is our Lord and Master, and of whom we say he is our example, and we want to follow in his steps, Jesus practiced fasting, he taught fasting, and still today, fasting is the most misunderstood and the most feared of all spiritual disciplines. For some Christians, fasting is unthinkable as shaving their heads bald or walking barefoot on glass. Fasting? Are you kidding me? I need food to live, and I need to sustain my existence with that food. Why is fasting something that is so remote in the minds of so many believers? And why is it that so many believers are loath to fast? I believe it's because we live in a very gluttonous and self-indulgent society. And so we just really struggle to accept the audacious claim that anywhere in God's word, he would challenge us to deny ourselves of food. That just so radically fights against our flesh, and we can't deal with it. But for those of us who, as true disciples of Jesus, embrace this discipline of fasting and dare to fast and dare to deny ourselves the enjoyment and the pleasure of food, we come to find that there are innumerable blessings that are to be obtained. Blessings that can be obtained in no other way than by fasting. You know, when Hudson Taylor went to China as a missionary, he observed that so many of the Chinese Christians were given to this practice of fasting. And he writes this in his journal, I found many Chinese Christians who were accustomed to spending time in prayer and fasting. They recognized that this fasting, which so many dislike, since it makes them feel weak and poorly, is really a divinely appointed means of grace. Did you hear that? Fasting is a divinely appointed means of grace. And he continues, perhaps the greatest hindrance to our, walk, to our work is our own imagined strength. Do we have any strength? In ourselves, we have nothing. And in fasting, we learn what poor, weak creatures we are, dependent on a meal of meat for the little strength we are so apt to lean on. And no wonder God says in his word, man does not live by bread alone. If you understand and acknowledge and recognize your weakness today, we understand it's because we are flesh and we need divine nourishment to sustain us, to enable us, to cause us to live the kind of victorious Christian life that God wants us to live. 
Can we as believers this morning come to embrace and understand that fasting is not an obligation, but it is a privilege whereby we can draw on the grace of God in our lives and experience God in a way in which we can in no, by no other means experience as we can through fasting. And I believe that's the reason why Jesus really never gave any specifics concerning fasting, only to say, when you fast. In other words, if you're my disciple, it is assumed that you will fast. And may I add at this juncture, not only during the corporate church fast in January, but as disciples, we are to learn how to live a fasted lifestyle and all through the year draw near to the Lord through fasting as the Holy Spirit leads us and as we are heeding his voice and walking in obedience to him. Notice that there are also no commands from Jesus as to how often and how long we should fast. See, fasting must never become a legalistic experience. Oh, my church is fasting, so I better fast. And your heart's not in it, and you're doing it as a legal thing that if I don't do it, then I'm going to be in trouble with God. Or if the pastor finds out, trust me, I'm not interested in knowing who is with us, who is not. I'm just praying that those who are with us are enjoying the blessing of feasting while we are fasting. If you recall that, that's been our theme for this series, that God wants us to feast while we are denying ourselves. This is a privilege. This is an opportunity to feast on the riches of God's grace. And so we might ask the question, well, pastor, why in this season? Why are so many churches and multitudes of Christians the world over? Why do they begin the year with a fast? Well, I believe this fast is bringing to the Lord the first fruits of this new year. I don't know how familiar we are with the idea of first fruits in the scriptures. But in the Old Testament, when God established the laws that would govern his people and the blessings that would ensue as a result of the obedience of God's people to those laws, they were all based on sacrifice. They were based on obedience to what God commanded and to this law that is called the law of first fruits. We know that Israel was an agrarian culture, so they were farmers. Uh, and that's how they sustained their existence. That, that was their money. That was their economy, as it were. So the first fruits was that offering that they brought to the Lord. It was the first of the grain and the first of the harvest that they said, because God said, this belongs to me. You bring it into my temple with thanksgiving that I've blessed you with this. And as a result of your obedience to doing that, then I will bless the rest of your harvest. And that's God's word, and that's his promise, and that is his covenant. Here's the principle here in God's word this morning that we want to lay hold of, that what we do with our first fruits sanctifies the rest of it. 
Do we understand that when we tithe, we say we bring to the Lord the first tenth of our income? So when we get our checks, the first thing that should come out, according to God's word, is not paying the rent or the mortgage or the food bill or the gas and electric, but that first tenth belongs to the Lord. And if we bring that first tenth to the Lord, then God will bless the 90% that he says that we could have and will actually multiply it so that it reaches to meet all of our needs. That's not your pastor telling you that. That is the word of God. Prove me now, God says. Bring your tithe into the storehouse and see that I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so great that you will not be able to contain it. I'm glad someone said praise God. They must know the blessing of tithing. You know, as a pastor, sometimes we're, we're, we're a little reticent and reluctant about talking about tithing because we don't want people to think that we care about money. You know what we really care about? We care about your blessing. We care about the abundance that God wants to bring into the lives of his people. Some people feel like they have holes in their pocket. For the more they try to make the dollar stretch, the less they have. Perhaps the reason is you're not understanding the principle of first fruits in the word of God. For when we give God his just due, the first of our income, then God promises that he will bless the rest of it and multiply it to meet all of our needs. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your need according to his abundant riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You know, as Christians, we worship on Sunday. Sunday is the first day of the week. It's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And so it's the, the first of the week. And when we come to worship, we're saying, Lord, in this new week, I want to sanctify this week, set it apart for you. I want to lay a foundation in worshiping you, bringing the sacrifice of praise, bringing the sacrifice of worship, bringing the sacrifice of my first fruits and my tithe so that the rest of this week can be blessed. And I'm so glad those of you who are faithful in coming to the house of the Lord and understand this principle of first fruits. Your life, I know, is being blessed because it is God's word. It's when we put God first in everything that we can have the assurance that God will bless all that follows. That's a fundamental, fundamental principle of the kingdom of God where Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, but seek first. And in the context of that passage, Jesus said, why are you worried about the things that you feel you just really, really need in order to live? I know you need food. I know you need clothing. If you seek first the kingdom of God, then all of these other things will be added unto you. Not may be or could be or possibly will be. I know that God is not a man that he should lie. And if we are faithful to put God first in all things then his promise will be fulfilled in our hearts and in our lives. 
It's applied in such simple things as getting up in the morning. If you give God those first few moments of the day in prayer and in the word, the rest of your day will be blessed. And I know I've experienced it, and if you'll be honest, maybe you'll say you experienced it too. When on really, really busy days, when so many things were happening, you just couldn't find that, that little block of time to spend with the Lord the rest of your day. Something was missing. The blessing was not there because we didn't give God the first fruits. Now as we're fasting... <clears throat> It's easy for us to get sidetracked into thinking that God's looking at how many meals I'm skipping or what my favorite foods are that I've eliminated from my diet for these 21 days. But we must remember that fasting is never a tool to manipulate God. Some people have the idea, oh yeah, now we're fasting. And that which I really want from God, now I'm going to get it because, after all, I'm making the big sacrifice of fasting. And somehow we think that through our fasting, we're going to earn points with God. We don't ever earn favor or grace from God other than through the acceptance of his son. His son is the reason why he loves us unconditionally and he accepts us and embraces us as his children. But God likes to know how hungry are we for him? Are we as hungry for him as we are for all that the world offers? Are we as hungry for him as we are for that next meal? Are we hungry enough for him to say, Lord, I'm willing to forego this next meal because I just want to be in your presence. I want to open your word. I want to have your word be the bread of life that feeds and nurtures my soul. I want to be in your presence so that I experience the reality of who you are. So who that, that, that you could wash over me with your love and with your peace and with your joy. That you can minister the deep places of my heart because I'm making room for you. And that's what fasting does. As God looks into our hearts today, the question is how earnestly are we seeking him? How willing are we to repent of those sins and those hindrances that are distracting us and hindering us from our walk in the Lord? The real issue we fast is because we should see fasting a discipline whereby we receive the grace of God. And you know, when God gives, he gives lavishly, he gives abundantly. If you're saying this morning, oh, this fast is so hard, I can't wait till it's over. Something's wrong. Because I know when we are fasting with a right heart, I know we'll have difficult moments I know there'll be times when we may even get cranky. I know there'll be times when we'll think, oh, I'm going to die if I don't put that in my mouth. You're not going to die. Actually, physically, you are doing your body a favor. It is one of the healthiest things that you can do. But we're not talking about fasting as a health benefit. Although I was so amazed in preparing this message once I put fasting in Google. And you know what came up? Not biblical fasting. 
but pages and pages of why we should physically fast and all the benefits that we could receive in our body and the healing and this and that and the other thing. And I'm thinking, if the world has latched onto this for the physical benefit of it, how much more as we as children of the Most High God should understand the riches of the grace of God that He wants to pour upon us if we would only fast, if we would only seek His face, if we would only do his will fasting is really something that will move us into a better position in God and will increase our spiritual capacity for more of God let me illustrate it by sharing this example fasting is like having a pipe in our house that is connected to a large reservoir of water. And of course that reservoir of water is feeding that pipe, it's uh, washing the dishes, running the dishwasher, washing your hands, flushing the toilets. But over time, this pipe can get gunked up. And when it gets gunked up, we know what happens. The flow of the water is hindered and the opening in that pipe gets smaller and smaller until it can get so closed that there's just a trickle of water that is coming out. Now the amount of water in the tank remains the same, but the problem is the reservoir in that pipe has been shut down and closed off. And here's the problem in our lives as Christians. As we go through life, if we don't take periodic opportunities to clean out the pipe, we get clogged up. And when we get clogged up, the flow of God's spirit, the flow of God's power, the flow of God's grace, the flow of his revelation is cut off from our lives and we become really stagnant, defeated, miserable Christians, and we wonder, what in the world is wrong with me? I go to church, I read my Bible, I, I do all the Christian things. Well, let me ask, do you fast? Do you set yourself apart to say, Lord, it's time to unclog the pipe? Because you know what fasting is like? Fasting is like Drano. When you put Drano in the pipe, all of that gunk gets washed out. Sometime it takes a day, and I think if we're regularly fasting, that you set aside a day a week or whatever the Lord leads you to, that you ensure you don't ever want that pipe to get clogged up in any way because you always want the free flow so that out of my innermost being might flow rivers of living water. I don't want to be just a trickle I don't want my life just to be a, a little drip here and there of God's presence and of God's touch and of God's reality. I want the full flow of the power and the presence of God to come through my life, to be a blessing to others, to glorify the name of Jesus. And unless we unclog those pipes, that water will never flow freely and fully. We need to understand that fasting doesn't increase God. God is always there. He's always the God of increase. It increases us. It opens up the pipeline 
so that the full flow can take place. And the problem, Christian friends, is this, that we're always satiating ourselves with food and we dare not think of skipping a meal here and there. The thought doesn't even enter into our minds. When was the last time I fasted? When was the time I set aside a block for just me and God? No distractions, no hindrances. I shut down Facebook and Twitter and all social media. I, I stopped watching TV. You know, these are the things that clog the pipe. We're so full of TV. We're so full of movies that we're watching, Netflix, that the pipe gets locked up. God wants us to unclog them through fasting. You notice in the uh, text that we have read this morning, there's a, there's a sad story here because Jesus gave the disciples to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, but here they are confronted with this situation and they could not help this man who was desperate for a miracle from heaven. Jesus had no blockages. All he had to do was speak the word. And that child was instantly delivered. And what was the problem with the disciples? They weren't living the kind of fasted lifestyle that Jesus was living. They weren't spending the, the kind of time in prayer that Jesus was spending. Jesus would get up a great time before day while the disciples were still snoring and he would go and find a place of prayer or he would spend all nights in prayer. And then we wonder why we're powerless to get our pipes unclogged. We, we need to fast and to go through fasting as an opportunity for God to pour his grace into our lives. So what is this grace that we need that God desires to impart to us that can help us get our pipes unclogged? Some practical things I want to share with you this morning in a brief way. First of all, fasting is a grace that humbles us before God. Because if we're not humble before God, we're never going to experience his grace. That, that's, a, that's Christianity 101. The same way that we kneel before God as, a, as an act or an expression of humility and worship, acknowledging, God, I'm nothing and you are everything. God, I have nothing, but you have everything. God's word acknowledge, uh, admonishes us in James 4.10, humble yourselves, therefore, in the sight of God, and he will lift you up. And then we read in James 4.6, God resists the proud, but he gives grace. Who does he give grace to? Who does he give grace to? To the humble. When we humble ourselves before God. Never underestimate the value and the importance of humbling ourselves before God. Even in our greatest sin. Even in our greatest failure. If we don't try to whitewash it, justify it, rationalize it. Well, God, I, I had a right to get angry. Or God, I, I know it was wrong, but I had a right to have resentment in my heart. I had a right to take up offense. That's not humility. Humility is coming before God and saying, God, against you and you only have I sinned. The most vivid example I believe in the scripture that shows us the power of humility before God 
is the story of King Ahab. He was the most wicked king in all of Israel's history. He caused Israel to fall into all kinds of degradation and shameful, reproachful sin. And when the prophet Elijah came to him with the judgment that God was pronouncing on his life, what does the Bible say in 1 Kings 21, 7? When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, he put sackcloth on his body, and he fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. He was broken by the judgment of God and in humility, he covered himself with sackcloth and ashes, which in Bible times was a signification of my deep humility and, and contrition before God for the kind of sinner that I am. And do you know what happened? God in mercy. If you don't understand the mercy of God, think about this example. The most wicked, vile king in all of Israel, married to Jezebel, the most wicked queen in the history of Israel. Because he humbled himself, God heard his prayer and spared the judgment that he was about to pour out upon him. See, the grace that God pours upon us in fasting brings us to a deeper repentance. And unless we come into a deeper repentance for the sinfulness of our hearts, that sin will always be lodged there in some way, shape, form, or another. Because somehow we're coddling it. Somehow we're, we're excusing it. Somehow we're covering it over. But God says, come to me with a deep repentance. Come to me with a repentance that says, God, I hate what you hate. I will no longer tolerate this sin in my life. I will turn and make an about face and choose to follow you in holiness and in righteousness. When God called Israel to repentance, he spoke through Joel. And he said, this is the kind of repentance I want. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. You know, sometime we could say, God, I, I blew it. Are, are we really saying that with all of our heart? I mean, have we really grasped the reality that it was that particular sin that nailed Jesus to the cross? Do we really recognize the gravity and the severity of our sin that brings reproach against God and that nails Jesus to an open shame all over again? If we understand that, then there will be a deep repentance and we will repent with all of our heart. And listen to what God says in his word, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. I ask myself the question, when I repent, are these evidences of the way I'm asking God to forgive me? See, God isn't pleased with just some superficial, oh, I'm sorry, Lord, I, I know I blow it, please forgive me. The sacrifices of God, Psalm 51, 17, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. And I know that we're looking uh, for revival. We're looking for an outpouring of God's spirit. 
But I'm reminded of the Azusa Street Revival, that great outpouring of the Holy Spirit that brought Pentecost into, into the world in a fresh and a new way. Frank Bartleman was a reporter, uh, a Christian reporter at that, and so he, he documented what was happening. And he said and wrote this, the depth of revival will be determined exactly by the depth of the spirit of repentance. And until there is this deep repentance, I believe with all of my heart, we will not experience the fullness of the revival that God wants us to have in these last days. Oh, how we need the grace of God for a deep repentance. What is this grace that God pours out upon us to bring to us the full benefits of fasting? It's as we fast, he strengthens us in our prayer life. Understand this, that fasting does not change God's hearing as much as it changes our praying. You know how it changes our praying? It makes us stronger in our prayer life. It makes us resolve that we're going to communicate with God more and more and more. And I believe we can do that in such a way that we can fulfill what the Apostle Paul said, that we are to pray without ceasing, that even when we're in the workplace, within the depth of our spirit, there is a communion that is going on with God. And if you feel like, oh, that is so foreign to me, I want to suggest to you that if you will spend some time fasting and praying, it will will strengthen your prayer life. And anything that strengthens our prayer life is something that we need to latch on to because the word of God says it is only the effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous that avails much. I don't know about you. I want my prayers to avail much. And it's the effectual, fervent prayer that James says in 5.16 that avails much. When we pray like this, we're praying with desperation. We're acknowledging, God, if you don't, we're done. Ever been in that place? God likes us to be in that place because our extremity becomes his opportunity, but he is waiting to see how desperate you and I are for him to come and to move, to intervene, to show himself strong, to show his right arm powerful, that he would get all the glory. I didn't figure this out on my own, God. I didn't do it in my own strength or by my own wisdom. It was you and you alone. Arthur Wallace remarks in his book on fasting, fasting is calculated to bring a note of urgency and persistence into our praying. I wonder as we pray, are we praying with urgency? Are we praying with persistence? He continues, it gives force to our pleading in the court of heaven. The man who prays with fasting. See, again, let me underscore and reiterate. You can fast until you're blue in the face. And you could starve yourself half to death, but you're not going to get anywhere with God unless it is coupled with earnest, fervent praying. Because it's only the discipline of going without food and then giving that time, giving that energy, giving that desire over to God and saying, God, I desire you more than I desire those raviolis. I desire you more than I desire that cheesecake. Cheesecake. 
I desire you more than sitting down at a good meal and enjoying it with my family. I desire you and I want to spend this time with you because I know you can satisfy my soul like a, a meal of the finest food in the best restaurant in all of America can never, ever do. He's expressing his earnestness in a divinely appointed way. See, praying is great, but when you couple it with fasting, it's earnestness in a divinely appointed way. And he is using a means that God has chosen. Do we understand? When we fast, it's not because the pastor encourages us to fast. It's not because all Christian churches all over the world are fasting in January. It's because this is God's appointed method so that when our cries are made to him, they are heard in heaven without the shadow of any doubt. And they are heard with urgency. Urgency. God hears the urgency. And I believe that's when he dispatches his angels who heed the voice of his word and do his bidding. Continuing on and understanding what fasting grace does for us. Fasting graces us to express our love and our worship to Jesus. I know we've just spoken about the crises in our life and when we're in a crisis, okay, then I'll fast. But do we understand fasting is also an expression of our sheer devotion to God? I was reading Alicia Britt in her book on fasting, and she said, my personal definition of biblical fasting is voluntary abstinence for the love of God. Not because I want anything from God. It's not to say that I don't want anything from God, but I don't have any ulterior motives. I'm not coming because if I fast, then I'm going to get this. I'm coming to God because I just want to worship him in an exclusive manner where he is the object of my gaze and the focus of my attention. She says, I fast because I thirst. I thirst to love Jesus more. How many of us are fasting to love Jesus more? I'm reminded of Luke in the gospel, uh, in Luke's gospel, the story of that precious woman of God named Anna. You remember her? She was 84 years old when she comes to the four of scriptures. She was widowed at a young age. She had only been married for seven years. And after her husband died, she didn't look for another husband. She didn't look for another job. She says, God, I love you so much. I just want to spend the rest of my life in your temple and the Bible tells us in Luke 2.37, she never left the temple, but worshipped, worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. You know what she was doing? She was ministering to the Lord. You know, in the narcissistic world in which we live, we become pretty narcissistic as Christians as well. It's always, Lord, what can you do for me? And God, I need this, and God, I need that, and God, you better come through here, and God, I'm your child, so make sure this happens. And When was the last time we thought of, God, how can I bless you? How can I minister to you? 
When was the last time we knelt in his presence and saying, God, I didn't come for anything. I came just to worship you. I came just to bless you. I came just to honor you. I came just to glorify you. I came just to love on you and to pour out my heart of love and affection for you. As we ask God for the grace to fast, may we also ask him for the grace to feast on the enjoyment of the pleasures of God that come to us in a reciprocal way when he brings us under his banner of love, when he brings us into his secret chambers and we worship him as our heavenly bridegroom, he reciprocates by lavishing us with a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. The grace to fast will strengthen our resolve to pursue God. Our life as Christians is a life in which we are challenged to follow God, to seek after God. The psalmist says, O God, you are my God, Psalm 63. Early will I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary, in your presence to see your power and your glory. And the psalmist David said in Psalm 27, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, will I seek See, the grace to fast will demonstrate to God our deeper desire for a deeper dedication, a deeper devotion. Are you content with where you are in God today? Are you content for how holy you are today, how pure you are today, how righteous you are today, how close you are following after the example of Jesus Christ? The only way we could get closer is to pursue God. And that comes through prayer and through fasting. And in that grace, God will continue to accelerate conforming us to the image of his son. I want us to know that the grace to fast is also the grace to break habits in our lives. Habits that keep people in bondage. The bondage of drugs and cigarettes and alcohol and sex and pornography and TV and social media, whatever it is, if you say, this is something that I can't get control, something I can't stop, something that distracts me in such a way and as hard as I try, I can't, I'll tell you how you can bring it to God in a season of fasting and prayer and those strongholds will be broken. Are there temptations in your life that are too strong for you to overcome? I want you to know today that Jesus, our example, fasted for 40 days. And in the strength of those 40 days, the scripture says afterward, he was hungry. You know, Jesus was a man. And if during these 21 days you get hungry while we're eating, some of us are eating a lot on a Daniel fast. I mean, a Daniel fast is like, that's not like you're even fasting sometime because you're still filling your stomach and you're not feeling any hunger pangs. And I just want to suggest if you're not, then maybe you need to back off of that Daniel fast a little because the real benefit of fasting comes in the sacrifice of God seeing that you're so hungry for him that you're going to allow your tummy to just ache a little bit because your ache for him is even greater. But Jesus was so strengthened by that 40-day fast 
that when Satan came to him and said, turn these stones into bread, Jesus knew that he had the power to do that. But he was able to foil the temptation of the enemy and to say, get thee behind me, Satan, for you do not savor the things of God. And man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So when our appetites rise up, God wants us to know self-control that is a fruit of the Spirit, and God will grace us with an abundance of that fruit as we fast and pray. You will notice that when you're fasting, temptations just, they don't tempt you because you're just walking so closely with God that he gives you the power to foil those temptations. And finally, I want to suggest that the grace to fast will quiet our hearts so that we could hear God better. There's so much dialogue going on in our heads. Everything that we've heard during the day, we're rehearsing the phone call that we just engaged in, the email that we just read, or the text that we need to send. I mean, the communication is just dizzying. But in fasting, God graces us to quiet our hearts. As we shut off those distractions, when they're removed, we can be still. Psalm 46, and know that he is God. And we know that he is God. We taste and we see that he is good. See, fasting prepares us for the real banquet table. <laughs> the real banquet table. Matthew Henry sums it all up. The grace of fasting in his words. Fasting serves to put an edge upon devout affections. It quickens prayer. It increases godly sorrow. It alters the temper of our minds as well as the entire course of our lives for the better. Maybe you're on a trajectory today or a path that you feel like is going toward a dead end. I want you to know that God can change and will change that whole trajectory of your life if you will seek him with all of your heart. If you will turn to him in prayer and in fasting, he will do it. Sounds to me like fasting and the grace that we can receive by fasting is something so worthwhile. It's so much more worth a bowl of pottage. Isn't that one of the most heartbreaking stories in the Bible? That Esau was so hungry that he was willing to sell his birthright for a bowl of lentils. And I know how good lentils are, and I make some mean lentils. Italian-style lentils. Boy, I could go for a bowl right now. But what is a bowl of lentils compared to the riches of the grace of God that he wants to pour out upon us? I don't know about you, but as God's word has stirred my heart, it's excited me to lay hold of even in a stronger way in this last week of fasting of more of the grace of God 
God, I pray, make me a house of prayer. Make me a house of fasting that I might feast on the abundance of the banquet that you've spread for those who love you and who will set themselves apart to pray and to seek your face. Then your glory shall be revealed. Then your spirit will be poured out. Then your right hand shall be extended and there will be signs and wonders for God will display the goodness of his grace upon those whose hearts are hungry after him. I want us to close as we sing that prayer. Lord, make me a house. Make me a house of prayer. And as we sing, if you have a desire to come and spend a few moments in prayer, I invite you to come. Make this the prayer of your heart this morning. And after we sing it, we will close in prayer. Let's stand together.